Our text for today comes from Luke 17, verses 20 and 21. Once, on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated unless you are an elementary student, in which case, follow me upstairs. All right, we'll give those kiddos a sec to get going, to help out with elementary. All right, good, good, good. How is everybody? Good? Um, I'm just, this is a public service announcement. Uh, Easter was a week ago. It feels like 12 years ago, right, already. It happens so fast. It's like the week after Christmas, you know, it's New Year's and you think, Aren't we like two weeks away from Christmas? It, I, sometimes, I don't know if it's because I have four kids, but I feel like I live in a time warp. The fact that, the fact that uh, Easter was just a week ago is crazy to me, but it was. And what a good Easter it was to be together, uh, to have a full room that day, to uh, pray and sing and just be together for really what felt like... Um, Almost honestly, kind of the first full day post-COVID, and it, it, it just gave me so much hope and filled me with so much joy, and uh, just so excited to be able to worship with all of you uh, last week. Now, uh, I uh, made the joke to Richard earlier that I might need to sit down on this stool because I am, uh, I'm fair to wager that I'm the sorest pastor in America today. Um, Unless somebody got in a car accident and is then trying to preach. Uh, yesterday was a phenomenal day. We got a lot of work done in the basement, and we're so thankful to those of you who showed up and helped. Uh, as Ashley said, I just want to follow up. We do have a little bit more work to do, so if you have an hour, a spare hour or so this week uh, that you can give to me, I will take it from you, and I will put you... Uh, to work for the kingdom of God, all right, in the basement of the church. Sound good? All right, all right. I just wanted to say that one more time. So there is this thing that we celebrate on Easter. Easter was only a week ago, but there's this thing that we celebrate on Easter, and we celebrate on Easter the fact that Jesus defeated death and that he reigns as king, that Jesus defeated death and that he reigns as king. And every time I say that, I'm always struck by the fact that I don't understand the full weight of what that means. Or is anybody with me? This idea that Jesus defeated death, that in and of itself is kind of a mind-blowing thing. But also that he reigns as king, that Jesus is the king of the universe. And that at the resurrection, he was shown to be who he truly was. That he was the king of the world. Now, this is a funny idea, and it's not an idea that we are very good at understanding, to be honest, in the West, specifically in the Western church. I don't know if it's because of the, the fact that we don't have kings and none of us have ever lived uh, in a kingdom, but in the Western church, we do a good job of talking about and understanding salvation. We do a good job of understanding the fact that Jesus died for our sins and that he saves us. We know that we are saved from the, the wages of sin, and we know uh, that we need to cross kind of the threshold of faith to become a part of the people of God. We know uh, that, when, that we, when we step into relationship with Jesus, 
we are, we are saved, and then we can be baptized, and we, be, we can become a part of his family. We understand that language about what it means to be in relationship with Jesus. And we know that, and that's good, that's important. But this idea of the kingdom and the, the role that the kingdom of God plays in our lives is an idea that I don't think is taught very often in the Western church, and I don't think it's something that many of us understand. And I think it comes to a head for many of us in uh, Western Christianity when, when we come to faith in Jesus, and then we kind of go, now what, right? So I'm saved from my sin, but what exactly am I saved to? And what is it that I actually, when I follow Jesus, that I actually stepped into? It, we are told we have new life in Christ, and that's very true, but, but what does that mean? What, what am I now a part of? What is this thing called the kingdom of God? The Bible says, functionally, the, throughout the scriptures, that it is that the good news that Jesus tells, it's actually called the good news of the kingdom in places like John 4, and Paul says this in no, a number of his letters. The good news is that there is a kingdom that we are now, because of Jesus, because he reigns as king, able to be a part of. And part of what it means to be a Christian is to learn to live as a citizen of the kingdom of God. You see, as it turns out, the gospel is not the good news of the lowest entrance requirements necessary for going to heaven when you die. That's not what the gospel actually is. The, the scriptures speak consistently and constantly about the fact that the primary message or the good news is about the kingdom, this thing that Christ, us, uh, Jesus, ushers in. Now, if the kingdom is that important, and I would encourage you, just go to Bible Gateway and type in kingdom, and it will do a search for you in the, in the right if you're looking at your computer, the right side of the bar, and you will see just how much Jesus teaches on the kingdom of God, or often uh, it's referred to as the kingdom of heaven as well. But you'll see that this is such a prominent idea in Jesus's ministry. It's almost, it's almost the, it is, it's not almost, it is the primary thing he speaks about. It, Jesus speaks constantly about the kingdom of God. You would be hard-pressed to open your Bibles and just flip open to something, and not in, in the Gospels, for sure, and not find some passage about Jesus teaching about the kingdom. Jesus teaches his disciples to pray kingdom prayers, right? Right at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer is, your kingdom come, your will be done. Jesus tells parables about the kingdom to kind of help orient people towards the kingdom and teach them what the kingdom that he is bringing is, is actually like. Now, the, the reason I think that there is confusion about what the kingdom is and teaching about the kingdom of God is because when Jesus teaches about the kingdom of God, he teaches it in a way that is different than his audience expected. Jesus' audience did not expect him to teach on the kingdom of God the way that he did. Now, we've talked about this before, but Jesus' audience expected a Messiah. They longed for a Messiah. They hoped for a Messiah. And they believed that when this Messiah came, he would inaugurate an earthly kingdom. 
that uh, an earthly kingdom of God, a kind of literal government, right? That would establish God's rule and reign over the whole earth. So they wanted real governmental political power. That's what they expected. And, and, that they would, and they believed this would happen in a pretty traditional way. Most of them believed that the Messiah or the king, the Lord, which is what Messiah means or what, what Messiah is translated to in your Bibles, would be a kind of really powerful version of David with all of his military prowess and his cunning leadership. But when Jesus describes what the kingdom that he is bringing is like in the Gospels, he doesn't describe it in those terms. He gives clues that, he's, that he is David's son, that he is going to take up this mantle, that he is going to be this Messiah. But the kingdom that he teaches about, he does not say is big and powerful and awe-inspiring in its force. This isn't the way Jesus teaches about the kingdom. In fact, when he teaches about the kingdom, he says things like, it's kind of like a mustard seed, right? Meaning that a lot of people, when a lot of people look at it, they will think it is small and insignificant, at least at first. And in the Sermon on the Mount, which we're going to talk about a lot throughout the rest of this series, he, uh, he says point blank that the kingdom he is talking about does not prioritize power or wealth or status, but rather in some crazy reversal of fortune prioritizes poverty, weakness, and the least of these. It actually causes a stir for Jesus' audience. They don't know what to do with the way that he is talking about the kingdom because it is so different from what they expected or wanted. And you can understand why, right? This is not the type of language you would want coming from the person you thought was going to be your conquering hero, right? You don't want the guy who you think is going to be the next David to say things like, blessed are the meek, right? You don't, want, you don't want to hear that because that doesn't line up with your expectations and it would make you quite confused. And so one of the things you see happening in the Gospels from time to time is that people ask Jesus to talk a little bit more about his concept of the kingdom. They actually ask him like, okay, what exactly do you mean by the kingdom of God? Because they're confused and Jesus's language about it is so kind of out of left field compared to what they expected. They're just a little fuzzy on what exactly Jesus is talking about. And that's kind of what's happening in our teaching text for today. The Pharisees are trying to get to the bottom of when this kingdom of God is going to come. When are, are all of our hopes and all of our expectations for, um, for a king, for a worldly king and a worldly kingdom to come to fruition? Remember, in their minds, what they wanted was to be vindicated. They, want, they wanted Israel to be vindicated, and they want the nations to be judged. And this is all over the Old Testament. That's what they expected. That was what they were holding out for. That was the promise that they held in their heart. And in classic fashion, when they asked Jesus this question, he gives them a very confusing answer, Right? Rather than going straight at the thing, he gives them, he, he obfuscates, right? He, he doesn't give them a clear explanation of what's going on. He says, when they ask, when is the kingdom going to come? A very clear, kind of straightforward question. It really was. When is it going to happen? You could see in the background of this question, them asking, are you going to do it? 
Do we got three weeks? Do we got a month and a half? How long is this going to take, right? And Jesus responds and he says, the kingdom of God is not something you can observe. Huh? Not something you can observe. Nor will people say here it is or there it is. And his audience must have just been so confused by this. The kingdom, a kingdom, would have been the most visible thing possible in that day, right? A kingdom is a nation. How can you say there it is, it's not going to be there or you won't be able to see it, right? The Pharisees believed that God was at some future point going to establish an earthy or earthly kingdom. And Jesus says you're not going to be able to see it when it happens. What is he talking about? Is this kingdom invisible, right? Is it, is, it, is it in the clouds? Is it just a spiritual kingdom? Is it like California and it can just be kind of a state of mind, right? What you carry everywhere with yourself? It's like the guy who retires and decides he's only going to wear cargo shorts and Hawaiian shirts, right? I've got a California state of mind. Anyways, I don't know. Whatever. That was a bad joke. But Jesus goes, so that's a confusing thing for Jesus to say, right? But he goes on. And he does kind of explain how, how you see the kingdom of God, where it actually is. He says, you won't see it, right? You won't be able to say there it is. But then he says, uh, you can't identify it because it's in your midst. You can't identify it because it's in your midst. Now, here's a question. Uh, who's standing in their midst? Correct. Good job. We got one, right? One person brave enough to talk during the sermon. I appreciate it. <laughs> Jesus is standing in their midst, right? And I think part of the reason he says that, uh, part of the reason he says that they, these Pharisees, won't be able to see the kingdom when it comes is not because, and this is a misunderstanding, I think, of our, our understanding of the kingdom. He's not saying this because this kingdom is purely spiritual, right? That it's just something that happens in the spirit or because it's only something that happens in people's hearts. I think it's not just something that happens in people's hearts. I think he says that you won't be able to see the kingdom because it's in your midst because the kingdom that Jesus is going to bring that he brought looks like him. It looks like Jesus. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who were asking this question could not recognize who Jesus was when he was standing in front of them. So how in the world were they going to recognize the kingdom that that very same person brings when it arrives? As it turns out, they won't be able to, will they? So if they can't see the kingdom, if they can't, excuse me, if they can't see who Jesus is, they're never going to be able to see the kingdom. And so, biblically, we know that this is why people, not biblically, but historically, this is why we know people like Origen, the early church father, said things like, Jesus is the kingdom in person. Not saying necessarily that that's the only, uh, that's the only thing that the kingdom is. The kingdom is broader than that but that Jesus is the personification of everything that the kingdom of God will be. If it doesn't look like Jesus, it's not the kingdom of God. And if you can't identify Jesus for who he truly is, then in some sense you can't participate in the kingdom that he is bringing because you can't see or understand. You don't have eyes to see. 
And so, biblically, to receive the gospel, to be saved, is to come to the knowledge that Jesus is king, but also, because you can identify who Jesus is, to come in under his reign or rule. Are you tracking with me here? Nod some heads. This, is, this can get a little dense at times. Basically, after we come to faith in Jesus, in his death and resurrection, after we submit our lives to his lordship, we step into and begin living in the kingdom, which is where we get the title of this message today, living the kingdom. Here is my one, here's my like two sentence definition of what it means to live in the kingdom of God, to live the kingdom. So here it is, Receive, receiving with joy the good news that Jesus is king. And then after we have received that news, we are invited to live under his just and loving reign. This is what I think it means to live the kingdom. So to be a Christian is not just to acknowledge or to believe things. And this is a really important distinction. It's not just about belief. Uh, it, is, it is to actively believe in Jesus and to then live our lives or submit our lives to his reign and his loving rule. It is to make the pronouncement that Jesus is Lord of your life. Now, that can sound a little strange to us, that to live the kingdom means to come to the acknowledgement that Jesus is king and then receive that good news and then live in under his reign, that that's what it means to live the kingdom. That can sound a little strange to us. And it probably, it, and it, maybe it creates a little tension in your hearts. Uh, it can sound a little different because... Many of us uh, have this idea, and I, it's a proper idea, that we are justified not by living under the reign of God, but that we are justified by faith, correct? That the thing, um, the thing that, that justifies us in the language of Scripture is our faith, and that is a true statement. That's a true statement. God's love and his forgiveness and his acceptance are a free gift of his grace, and we receive that by faith. Jesus died for our sins, right? According to the scriptures. Not so that we can just go, uh, go do a bunch of stuff that makes us happy, right? Uh, or, or, that, or so that we can do a bunch of stuff that makes God happy. But the, when the word of faith kind of, of, when faith rises up in our hearts, it gives us confidence and, and it gives us purpose and direction and it saves us, the scriptures say. But the problem is, is that in our context in the Western world, and especially in the English-speaking world, we have reduced this word faith down to mean simple belief, all right? When, if you say, what is faith? Faith is, we, we've reduced it down simply to the things I believe cognitively with my mind, right? It's just some things, it's just some stuff that I happen to believe in my head, right? And that's what makes uh, all the difference. But that is a misunderstanding of the word faith. Faith is not simple belief. If, if, we, if we reduce faith to simply just cognitive assent or belief, we, we miss the beauty of what it means to be a kingdom people and to participate in the kingdom of God. We, we miss the significance of what faith actually is. You see, in the scriptures, faith is not just described as belief. It is the, a better word for, f than, for faith than belief is faithfulness. 
or trust or allegiance even. These are the, these are the uh, better cognate words for what faith is than simply belief. And so to have faith in Jesus is not simply to believe something, but rather to trust in something with the whole of your being. To, to not only make mental assent to something, but to, be, to remain faithful to something or to someone. You see, having just faith in terms of belief would be like uh, if, you're, if somebody came to you and said your great aunt Sassafras passed away. If you have a great aunt Sassafras, I'm sure she was a crazy lady. Um, she passed away and she left you a fortune, Right? We've taken all of this money and we've put it in your bank account. And you say, wonderful, I received that with faith. And then you never spend any of the money, right? That, that's faith, but, but that's, that's belief, right? When we think about it. But what we're invited into when we become a follower of Jesus is so much more than simple belief in Jesus. What we're invited into when we become a follower of Jesus is that we're invited into a whole new world, a whole new way of being, a whole new way of orienting our lives, a way of orienting our lives that is not about following rules for rules sake, but we're literally invited into the process of renewing and restoring the world, joining God, I said it last week, in the renewal of all things living in under the just rule and reign of God, we are invited, in short, to participate in the kingdom of God, to live into it with the whole of our lives. We, we are invited by faith to live in under the just reign and rule of King Jesus. And that is so much different than just believing a couple of things and then going about our lives. It's, it's so much different. And here's what's encouraging to me. If faith is just simple belief, if that's all it is, then I will have moments where I don't believe, right? Have, have you ever doubted something that you believed very deeply, right? Have you ever been in a fight with your spouse and doubted that they loved you, right? Have you ever been there? Does... Does that nullify your relationship with your spouse for that period of time where you don't believe that they love you because you just got in a big brouhaha, right? No, it doesn't. Because your commitment to your spouse is so much deeper than what you believe in a given moment, right? And in the same way, our faith in Jesus, our fidelity to him, our trust in him, and most certainly his adoption of us is so much stronger than what we believe in a given moment. If you are a follower of Jesus, you will doubt that he exists from time to time. No amens. Okay, I didn't expect it. You will, you will doubt the reality of God in the world. You will wonder if the way of Jesus is the way that you should be going. You will be tempted away from that way. You will have, uh, you will have doubts and insecurities about the person of God. But if you have pledged to follow, you've pledged your faith, your trust, your fidelity to King Jesus, then you continue to walk down that road, even when faith or belief ebbs and flows a little bit, right? 
This is why it's so important that when we, when we follow Jesus and we make the proclamation that he's the Lord or he's the king, we do it with the whole of our lives. This is why it's important that we give our lives to Jesus in a moment, but that we make sure that that moment kind of codifies in our heart as a holistic way of life. Because if we just follow Jesus with our brains, we will never allow the realities of the kingdom to seep in to all of the corners of our lives. You see, being a Christian is about living in the kingdom of God. It's about learning to live the kingdom with the, with the whole of our being. To be discipled into the way of Jesus. To be discipled into a kingdom mindset. A way of a kingdom of peace and love and generosity. A kingdom, a kingdom where people are cared for. A people, uh, a kingdom of justice. A kingdom of righteousness. A kingdom of holiness. A kingdom of generosity. This is what it means to follow Jesus and live into the kingdom. But the question is, now that we've laid out all of that, that becoming a follower of Jesus is all about learning to live in the kingdom. How do we do that? How do we live in the kingdom? Is it just reading your Bible? Right? Is it, okay, all I got to do is read my Bible and then I'm in. <laughs> I would encourage you to read your Bible, but it's so much more than that, right? The Bible would be the thing that helps you live into the kingdom, just FYI, right? It's not, it, it, it's it's something that encompasses the whole of our lives. It is about becoming a disciple of Jesus and a disciple of the kingdom. Getting in to the kingdom, salvation, if you will, is not, here, I, I will say this, is not the point. Living as a citizen of God's kingdom is the point of following Jesus. Amen? And we have got that backwards in the Western church. And it, it, and, it, it is, and it will be all the better for each of us as individuals and for the world if we get that equation right side up. Does that make sense? Here's how we live into the kingdom. And we'll be talking about over the next number of weeks what, it, what types of things that it is that Christians do, kingdom people do, in order to live into the kingdom. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more. But I ran across a, qu a quote this week in a big book that I, re re uh, that I read from time to time called Kingdom Ethics. And the authors of that book talk a little bit about what it means to practice the kingdom of God. And they say this. They say, Jesus offered not hard sayings or, har or high ideals, but concrete ways to practice God's will. And he delivered from, uh, and, and to be delivered from the bondage of sin. In other words, he taught his followers how to participate in God's reign. He taught what the kingdom is like, what its characteristics are, and therefore what kinds of practices are done by those who participate in it and are ready for it. You see, we want to participate and be ready for the kingdom of God to break out in our midst. And in order to do that, we, we need to prepare uh, our hearts by practicing the way of Jesus, by following in his way. Now, there's a lot of examples of this. Uh, one of the best example of this is the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, next week, we'll be talking about the ways in which to be a kingdom people. We have to be kingdom of God people. We have to be a part of a kingdom of God people. 
But it's so important that we understand this, that, that walking in the kingdom of God, being kingdom of God people, extending the kingdom of God wherever we go, is not simply, not simply about our belief, but it is about our devotion to a way of life that encompasses everything we are, encompasses everything we are. And if we miss that fact, if we miss it, then our lives kind of live, um, they live below the standard, the high standard that we are called to, but not in a religious sense. It's like we live below the poverty line of the life that is made available to us in the person of Jesus. Does that make sense? It's like the, the riches and rewards of what it means to be a Jesus person in this world are kind of like put aside and put in the closet or, or the back of our house, right? You all have that closet in the back of your house that has all the stuff, right? You just kind of close all of that in there and you never know what's there. And we do that with, with Jesus' teachings of the kingdom. And we, and we put aside the peace that's made available to us in, hi, in and through him. And we put aside the love that's made available to us in him. And we put aside the deep roots of community that are made available to people who follow Jesus together. We put aside all of that because we're concerned with the base, the, the, we're concerned with other things. But to be a kingdom people is to step into the fullness, the fullness of what it means to follow Jesus. And that's what I want for each and every one of us. It's what I want for our church. It's what I want for every Christian. But it's also what I want for myself, right? to be a kingdom person and to extend the kingdom everywhere I go. Would you stand with me this morning as we pray? Now, I don't know if this is new for you guys. You know, you, if, if you're in church at any period, any amount of time, you hear the word kingdom all of the time. But I think it's a really important paradigm for us to, to really understand what it means to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus, is to be a kingdom person. And so... I want to pray today, this was basically an introductory message, but I want to pray today for each and every one of us that we would not, um, that we would, excuse me, embrace the kingdom, that we wouldn't just embrace, that we wouldn't just embrace like all the trappings of Christianity, you know, that can happen from time to time, but rather that we would embrace the kingdom in all of its fullness and that God would give us a hunger for the kingdom of God the pure, unadulterated stuff, right? The good stuff. Are you with me? Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we pray this morning that you would give us a hunger for your kingdom. Father, that you would not allow us to be people who would kind of settle for just like baseline cultural Christianity and keep it moving, but rather, God, that you would give us a hunger for the, for the depth and the significance of your kingdom. That you would make us hungry for the truth of who you are and the, and the, the new world that was unveiled on that morning when you were raised from the dead, Jesus. Father, would you not allow us to kind of lay down our rights as kingdom people and take up some other uh, worries or concerns, but rather, God, would you um, convict and inspire us to be a people of the kingdom? And would you, over the next number of weeks, unfold for us all of the interesting things that you invite us into as citizens of your kingdom? Jesus, we love you, and we give you the praise and the glory and the honor.
And we pray it all in your strong name, in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen and amen. All right. It's good to see you today. If you brought a gift, you can put it in the uh, offering box on your way out today. Uh, Go today in the grace and in the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.